1: Welcome to the New Books Network. We are so excited to be joined this morning by Dr. Sophie Richter-Devreau, Devro, is an associate professor in the College of Humanities and Social Sciences and in the Middle Eastern Studies Department at um, Hamad bin Khalifa University. Um, Dr. Dr. Devro, thank you so much for joining us this morning. Thank you so much for having me, thank you. Yeah, and we are really excited to um, started this discussion of women's political activism in Palestine, peace building, resistance and survival, which was published by the University of Illinois Press in 2018. Um, So we can just probably get right into a discussion of the book because, as I said before we started recording, I am so excited to hear more about your, um, the field work that went into this and your sort of theoretical contributions. But um, the first sort of general question that I have for you is um, if you could talk maybe a little bit about how the project was conceived and how you came to approach questions of women's political activism through the lens of the everyday.
0: Yeah, thank you so much for this uh, great question. Um, So I started this project in 2002. Well, I started thinking about it from, of course, earlier onwards, but I started in 2007. And, you know, at that time, um, there was a lot of discussion globally about the Women, Peace and Security Agenda, the UN Resolution 1325 that calls for increased participation of women in peace-building conflict resolution. And, uh, of, and I was interested in like my very early question was, was simply an interest to see what does this global agenda mean for a local context such as Palestine, a local context dominated by um, settler colonization, by statelessness, and of course prolonged uh, prolonged violence. Now, with this initial question uh, started a long process of fieldwork um, and uh, uh, My time on the ground in Palestine really taught me quite early on that in a way I'm asking maybe a good entry question, but not the right question to understand political activism in Palestine. Because very clearly this kind of... women peace and security agenda and the focus on peace building particularly joint peace building between Palestinian and and Israeli women had very little to do with the realities on the ground it received a lot of media attention but that's not what women were doing on the ground so so then my project really started trying to go beyond these stereotypical representations of Palestinian women either as some kind of uh, peace builders that reach out to the other side or resist fighters, armed resistors like Leila Khaled, um, or the victims of violence, I wanted to look beyond this stereotypical representation and really see what, what are women doing? What does it mean to do politics in a context such as Palestine, dominated by settler colonization, prolonged settler state violence, and statelessness? And how can we capture these forms of politics also conceptually? Um, and then, I mean, to come to your second question, this really meant then that one ha- that I had to move from the classic understandings of what is the political, what is political activism. Uh, I had to move further and I had to look at the everyday and I had to look how, I had to study and try to understand better, better um, uh, how women are coping on an everyday level and how their everyday survival and coping strategies are, in fact, part and parcel and an integral part of the political.
1: Definitely. And I hope that we can come back and sort of really delve into this concept of the everyday. But um, before we sort of talk a bit more about the theoretical contributions of the text, you mentioned something quite interesting and something that I think is sort of part and parcel of ethnographic fieldwork at least, which is that you have one set of questions and you sort of go to start your fieldwork in a particular field site and realize that those questions actually aren't the ones that are sort of relevant or aren't the ones that are kind of on the minds of the individuals that you are working with. And so I wonder if you could maybe talk a bit about the methodological choices that informed your analysis and maybe how those choices contributed to your own understanding of the methods that women utilize in in their own resistance efforts.
0: Mm -hmm. Yeah, thank you. So, um, well, this is predominantly an ethnographic project where I spent – uh, around 11 months between 2007 and 2009 in the West Bank mainly. I also was a lot in East Jerusalem and I spent a few days in, in Gaza. Uh, since this time, since 2009, I've been going regularly back to Palestine. So, in a way, also these other visits to Palestine inform my analysis in the book, but the the actual fieldwork for the book took place between 2007 and nine. Um well, so this being an ethnographic project, I tried to spend as much time as possible with uh, uh, people on the ground. I lived with families in different areas of the West Bank, uh, in different municipalities, and uh, uh, and shared their everyday life. Um, so much of my fieldwork really took place in kitchens, uh, uh, on the fields. There was... There were some more official interviews. I I conducted uh, more than 80, 80, 84, I think. Uh, Yeah, 84 interviews. Um, More formal interviews. I mean, you know, scheduled with a a recorder, etc. These interviews were largely with... um, uh, women activists who had played uh, crucial roles in the first intifada. So, they, um, these were women who had a long history of involvement in, in the more public, uh, um, overt uh, forms of activism. But then after Oslo had moved into other forms of engaging, for example, in NGOs or indeed had maybe retreated from this kind of public politics. So I found it very important to start with these um, memories and narratives of of these very experienced uh, female activists. Um, But then I also did a lot of informal conversations and other uh, interviews with, uh, with just ordinary people who nevertheless... Uh, conceived of their own activities and I an, analyzed their own activities as, as forms of political activism, those that participate in demonstration and protests against the wall, that was a very important form of activism at the time um, protests against the illegal apartheid wall um, but also people who were just trying to keep their family together in a, and, and trying to establish some kind of normal life um, so so, additionally to these interviews and these ethnographic observations in people's everyday life, I also participated in in political uh, uh, political political activities, such as, uh, for example, protests and demonstrations, but also meetings. I attended several meetings between Palestinian and Israeli activists to understand a bit better um, and the the this people-to-people people and women's peace activism. So really, I, um, I mean, to cut the long story short, uh, I, I, um, I tried to diversify my methods, but they were very much grounded in, in an ethnographic approach of trying to understand how people in their everyday life really perceive of the political and how they navigate through these various political, economical, cultural structures that are c- constraining their agency.
1: Mm-hmm. Absolutely. And I think <clears throat> that sort of um, sense of your own experiences of living life with the individuals that you were sort of working with, um, I'm sure brings a different texture of understanding to what you conceive of as everyday life, and and the ways in which you know, as you put in the book, in ever tightening Israeli occupation and settler colonial policies, um, actually contribute to the forms of political activism and resistance that are utilized by by the women that you were working with. Um, well, thank you so much. I, I guess now, if we could sort of delve into some of the main theoretical contributions of the text, and certainly one that seemed to be perhaps the main takeaway from the book, or at least one of the most significant, was your contention that women confront settler colonialism both directly and indirectly, through variable acts of resistance. And, of course, you position that in contrast to classical political analysis or liberal notions of the political, as perhaps discussed most you know, famously by Habermas and his understanding of a singular uniform public sphere, and as well as assumptions of women as, you know, fundamental peacemakers and i wonder if you could maybe speak a bit broadly about how you came to that conclusion and how it serves to enhance studies of gender and politics in the middle east
0: Mm -hmm. yeah so um You already, in in your question, brought the two issues together. You brought together, on the one hand, uh, women's peacemaking uh, activities and initiatives and the Habermasian um, uh, theorization of the public sphere. So, I mean, broadly speaking, the book is a critique of this of of, Haber, of the Habermasian conceptualization of the public sphere as homogeneous, as unitary, as some as a space uh, between so-called state and market, where private people come together to rationally discuss and deliberate uh, on in, on questions of, of of the public or com- common good, um, rather than than uh, conceiving of the political or the public sphere as such i rely on uh, feminist theorists such as nancy fraser who who have shown that not only is this understanding um not only is this understanding uh, historically not valid um, because there were always women's counter publics or women's ways of uh, engaging in the public sphere that were different from this hegemonic, uh, homogeneous uh, notion of the public sphere that Habermas describes. So not only is it historically not correct, but also Nancy Fraser very importantly tells us maybe it should not be that way, right? Um, maybe we, we we should be interested rather in having multiple and contestatory um, counterpublics, subaltern counterpublics, as she calls this. So, so with this kind of theoretical background in mind, um, um, I started to, as I said, I first started to look at the women to women uh, peace building initiatives. And here, of course, the idea, the, the underlying uh, idea of these um, projects is that when you bring together people from the Palestinian side with people from the Israeli side and you allow them to just talk to each other, then they will. Um, Find ways to bond, over, overcome the national divide. Maybe uh, particular gender issues will bring them together closely. So, so here we see some uh, basics of the Habermasian idea on on ideal speech and deliberation as the core to politics, dialogue as the core to politics. We see it reflected in these dialogue groups. I mean, here the idea is precisely that the ways in which Palestinian women should do politics is by dialoguing with the other side. Now, the the. Empirical evidence shows that these people-to-people projects were quite a big failure. I mean, they not only did they not lead to any tangible results mm-hmm. on the ground, I mean, the situation has rather gone much worse. They also have been very problematic for the people involved themselves who see this as a form of normalization. And society, Palestinian society, more largely sees it as a form of normalization. So, meaning somehow pretending that there's a picture of, uh, of uh, people can just meet and they can talk and they can dialogue. And the whole violences and um, asymmetries and inequalities between the two sides moves uh, into the background. Here it's presented like a conflict. You just bring the two sides together. But this is a settler colonial context of, of one side settler colonizing the, the other. So so this is the failure of the peace pro, of these peace projects also shows us that maybe it's not enough to co- conceive of the political uh, merely or predominantly through the notion of dialogue and, and discursive deliberation, a la Habermas. Rather, we need to move further. Um, and here, I mean then along with the theory, I trace the other, um, the other forms of politics, like, for example, uh, popular resistance. Here, it's not about dialoguing with the Israeli side, but rather it's about radically confronting and, and highlighting, even dramatizing the injustices and inequalities between the two sides. It's not trying to say we are two parts in the conflict. It's clearly starting from a very different starting point, pointing at the, at the inequalities and asymmetries, the confronting them and trying to overcome them. Um, so uh, um here then, in a way, my book proceeds going through the various forms of activism and letting the women on the ground, I mean, my idea was to let the women on the ground speak back to this Habermasian ideal of the public sphere and and highlight, with of course, the backing of the, of the very strong feminist scholarship on 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 these ideas, highlighting that it is not enough. To to understand, to to conceive the public sphere in the Habermasian way. Um, Now, how does, I think you also asked how does this uh, um,
1: sit with the. Yes, sort of broadly enhance um, maybe studies of gender and politics in the Middle East.
0: Yeah, um, exactly, because for now I spoke more about uh, how it relates to the theory. If we look at the literature on women's politics or p- women's political activism in the Middle East, there is, of course, a very important uh, body of literature. Um, there is the the, the classic anthologies uh, by um, scholars such as Leila Aboulrout, Denise Kandioti, Nikki Kedi, etc. that... Um, uh, that interrogated the politics of modernity and uh, tried to show how how modernity is always enabling, uh, but also a um, rest- uh, restricting force. This this also showed how the state plays an important role in shaping uh, women's activism, often through state feminisms, etc. So. Th- this, this literature is very important because it debunks all the Orientalist uh, uh, discourses on women in the Middle East being passive or Muslim women being the oppressed other, etc. It's it's a very important body of literature that I always went back to. Um, but in a way, I um, I wanted to look more specifically what on this question, what does it mean to do politics in the context of Palestine? And and indeed there is quite quite also some literature that deals more specifically with women's political activism in the Middle East. Very often I think this literature focuses more on women's involvement in protests and demonstrations. We've seen a rise now uh, since the Arab revolutions, a lot of focus on how women are are participating in Uh, in these revolutions, how gender and political issues are intertwined. Um, So um, this is also very important literature because it shows that historically and today, women always played an important role in politics in the Middle East. It's not something exceptional as uh, maybe some Western media representations might put it more. But overall, I think there's very little that focuses specifically on the everyday. I mean... Um, it is more generally situated within the classic conceptualization of, uh, you know, women's participation, political parties, protest politics, and NGOs, civil society, etc. But not, but not really looking at what does it mean to uh, um, try and keep a family or a society together. Is this a form of political activism? Is the everyday also a place of the political? So here, I hope my book can make the contribution.
1: No, definitely. I think, I think it certainly does. And I think in just hearing you speak about it, you raise a number of important points. I know, um, something that you talk about towards the end of the book and in the conclusion is the idea certainly developed by Laila Abu Lughod, which is, you know, the effort to not romanticize forms of resistance, but truly to just, you know, explore um, the textures of different forms of women's resistances, and then to also show you know, in her classic inversion of Foucault's notion of um, where there's power, there's resistance. Well, where there's resistance, there's power. And I think um, in your exploration throughout the text, it does a very good job of, you know, constantly exploring the ways that those two things parallel one another and to never forget, as you mentioned earlier, the kind of context in which all of this is situated, um, and that is, of course, one characterized by intensified Israeli occupation and settler colonial policies, um, which often actively prevent political activism, and certainly that of women's political activism more specifically. Um, and then something else that I was curious about, talking a little bit more um, in detail, is the idea of the sort of almost failure of the women to women dialogue, and how, to me, that read as being, you know, in line very much with other anthropological and feminist critiques of sort of women's empowerment programs. And of course, the suggestion that's often made by feminist scholars is that discourses of empowerment, particularly those in the colonial world, have become closely tied to neoliberal technologies of governance. And so there's, you know, a kind of failure of those women's empowerment programs. And I wonder if, um, you know, you saw that as being kind of a correct reading, or if If you see your work intersecting at all with those um, broader critiques of development of international um, programs and peace talks and something like the UNSCR, as well as Women's Empowerment.
0: Yeah. um, Yes, definitely. I mean, um, this, uh, there's there's certainly an overlap or uh, a lot of space for comparison between the people to people projects or the women to women project in the in the context of Palestine and the the broader um, de- gender and development uh, agenda of uh, women's empowerment, gender mainstreaming, be it through the UN resolution thirteen twenty five or or other such mechanisms. Um, the the so. The women-to-women projects of projects in Palestine, of course, have also a particular context, and this is is the 1993 Oslo Accords, which, uh, uh, which, I mean, policymakers wanted to accompany these. Peace management from the top with some kind of bottom-up peace building, um, where people should be brought together and overcome the uh, the divides, the, the national divides, and a lot of focus was put specifically on bringing women together, um, and there was a um, there was a quite a strong donor interest in that so quite a lot of funding went into such projects international uh, women's activists were involved from different uh, European countries and uh, um, uh, and, uh, and the idea here was that since these are g- groups of women, they, should, they have maybe something to unite and, uh, uh, and find ways to overcome the, the national political divides. And, and often this was then, so to go back to your question of empowerment and development, this was then presented as a win-win solution on two levels. It would, uh, it would not only advance peace, the narrative goes, but it would, would also lead to women's empowerment. Now, my, uh, my conclusion after having spoken to very many women activists who were involved in these early initiatives is that there was no empowerment at all for women's activists in Palestine. In fact, it was uh, a disciplining of their activism because now um, international funding uh, and, also, uh, and also national pol- policies ...pushed women into this kind of... Va- ...what was presented as valuable activism... ...as activism that would advance not only peace... ...but also uh, women's, um, women's struggles. And all other forms of activism... ...the very strong popular resistance... ...that women had been so prominent in during the First Intifada... ...or indeed everyday forms of activism... ...all of this was presented as somehow out of line... deviant, and therefore uh, not the good politics... This this meant that in fact many many women were pushed out of the political. The only ways in which they could participate was in uh, women to women project, which for for many of them was a form of normalization. So what happened here and um, uh, what happened here is that a few uh, female activists who became kind of the leaders and international representatives of of Palestinian women in joint programs. Maybe they indeed were empowered, if we want to use that word, because they indeed, um, I mean, they they flew to international conferences. They were always, uh, they were given a lot of space to give their analysis, etc. But many others were disempowered, were in fact um, uh, left out, were disciplined. Um, and uh, and I would therefore say that we have to be very careful here with this um Just as the the critical literature and development and gender has shown, we have to be very careful with this liberal notion of agency and empowerment. Um, In the Palestinian context, I just want to mention, in the Palestinian context, there has been quite a lot of excellent writing on um, on the development uh, and humanitarian industry including the peace industry more broadly that has also shown that um, after Oslo much of women's activism which was more social movement kind of activism popular resistance quite very mass-based was disciplined into disciplined and fragmented into NGO active well NGO work rather than NGO activism so um, that also was a form of of uh, disciplining and disempowering the mass base of, of women's activism. Because now you needed to be an entrepreneur and an NGO with a project plan and an agenda. You needed to speak the, the lingua of the international development and peace industry, et cetera. And the women-to-women projects are part and parcel of this wider NGOization, as uh, Islah Jad calls it, um, of, of Palestinian civil society.
1: Oh, certainly, and that... That rings very true of um, the sort of women's activism and women's organizational work that I spend some time researching in Jordan, and and that my own dissertation is based on is, is definitely the idea of how much um, international funding and the sort of structure of organizational work now. Exactly, as you said, fragments and divides and sort of lessons, maybe the politicized impact of the work that these organizations are able to do, because it's so much um, hemmed in by the framework of applying for funding obtaining funding and sort of working within that model. Um, exactly. And definitely, I think disenfranchises maybe some of the earlier political work that we could point to in Jordan or in Palestine that has much more of a, as you sort of discussed in chapter two, maybe a more popular resistance base in um, yeah. history to that as well. Certainly. Um, well, then I think Now, if we could move into maybe what I read as perhaps the most important theoretical contribution of the text, um, and one that's definitely fundamental to your analysis of women's political resistance is, of course, the intervention that you make about studying the everyday as essential to women's political existence um, and sort of lived existence in general, and I was hoping that you could kind of expand on this notion of the everyday, although you have touched on it a little bit in our conversation so far, Um, but how it's related to, you know, a shift in women's political activism and resistance from exactly as we talked about the women to women, um, more internationally uh, focused work um, to political or to popular resistance and then to this sort of more everyday forms of resistance.
0: Yeah. So this is, of course, a very wide topic, so let me try and, um, uh, and be concise. Um, one term that is used um, very broadly in Palestinian everyday talk, but also in, in political culture, is the notion of sumut, uh, now, sumut um, literally would translate as, uh, as steadfastness or one can also, I think, um, translate it as re- resilience or, or indeed everyday resistance. The interesting point is that "sumud" of course has always been uh, part of the Palestinian lexicon on the political. It has undergone various changes in in what it means, but um, uh, so and and I talk more about this in the book, but I, I'm not going to talk about it here now. Um, the the important thing is that today uh, "sumud." kind of describes the steadfast and stubborn insistence to carry on with normal life maybe even trying to seize opportunities to enjoy this life as much as possible and despite all the um, infringements and violations through settler colonization at both the material and the more uh, mental or ideational level so, so so mood is in a way uh, the the everyday politics that takes place um, in ordinary life um, it's non-organized it's often individual, it's not collective in the sense of, like the first intifada collective activism and social movement social movements. where um, and and uh, this was a notion that people very often brought up when they talked about their everyday life. And they brought it up in, uh, in different contexts or with different meanings. One relates a lot to the land. Um, sumut means staying on the land. Uh, there is a clear connection of um, being steadfast on the land, not, not giving in to settler colonization and emigrating um but there's also um there's also other ways of conceiving of of sumud there's also um there's also the idea that sumud means uh, maintaining or uh maintaining and keeping alive uh, um i Palestinian identities, oral histories and memories, um, even songs and cultural practices, and more generally, simply trying to keep together the social fabric of the of the community. As I said, trying to kind of create a normal life despite the the abnormal uh, situation. Um, and 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 this, of course. I mean, to repeat a little bit, but this, of course, is not often considered in in classic political analysis, especially not in disciplines like political science. This would be considered apolitical, nothing to do with politics. But um, my my contention and my argument in the book is that because um, Israeli settler colonization takes place not only at the level of the land, of course, largely at the level of the land, but not only. It also takes place at the level of, um, of of identities, at the ideational level. It also is interested in colonizing the minds of people. Israeli colonization is also about eradicating indigeneity uh, and re um, and reforming, reshaping the political subjectivities on the ground into basically, docile colonial subjects. And here I think the everyday and insisting on maintaining an everyday life, a normal, to the extent that's possible, a normal, enjoyable life is precisely speaking back to this um, colonization of the mind. Uh, It's precisely trying to maintain alternative spaces of who we are and who we want to be and who I want my children to be um, and that I think in the context of Israeli settler colonialism is a political, is a political, is a form of political activism, is political as such.
1: Oh, absolutely. And I think, I mean, you do that so beautifully, in particular, I mean, throughout the book, but in particular in chapter three, of, you know, detailing the experiences of individual women as, you know, their their individual efforts to sort of, as you said, reclaim life and the ways in which in the context of Palestine and and amidst, you know, Israeli occupation and settler colonialism, how that becomes a political act is just to live a life. Um, And as I said, I think it's so beautiful the way that you laid that out in the third chapter where you have, you know, included the stories of these individual women and how they're their acts to just, yes, reclaim a life or live a life has become one that is um, a political act in this particular context. Well, then the only sort of, I mean, I think that you did a beautiful job um, outlining the sort of primary primary theoretical contributions of the text. And so the last question that I have is um, more about the conclusion and the the forward way in which the book sort of looks to call on um, scholars in future research. And so And you can correct me if this is perhaps not the correct reading, but it almost, the text ends on an almost hopeful note by saying that women's insistence on their right to have a joyful, normal life constitutes a way for them to fight the existing system, the status quo, by reclaiming their humanity. That is, it offers a way for the, quote, stateless, those without the right to rights, do and understand politics, end quote. Um, and, and as I said, it formally ends with a call to scholars to further engage in research on women's political resistance in Palestine. And I wonder, since finishing the book, but as you said, since going back and forth um, to Palestine, since doing the primary fieldwork for this text, and then um, since the book was published, I wonder if you have begun a new research project or how maybe you see the future of um Gendered political research uh, in in this particular context.
0: Yeah, that's a that's a big question, but a, but an important one. I'll try to answer if I uh, I mean if I can. Maybe I'll start with um, what I've concluded for myself and how my own research has evolved, and then I'll try to to make a broader note. Um, so after having done this project on. Palestinian women's activism in the West Bank and especially focusing on their everyday politics as we just discussed. I moved to a new project in the um a new project in the Nakab uh, which is the, um the it's in today's southern Israel next to Gaza and there's a Palestinian there's a Palestinian Bedouin population that has um, received very little uh, scholarship. I mean, there has been very, or the scholarship that has been done on this community, on the Palestinian Bedouin, has been largely done by Israeli uh, anthropologists or indeed also military uh, advisors, etc. Um, so so I, I had the chance to, to do field work in that community, and I was working specifically on the oral histories of Naka Bedouin women. Uh, not only on their oral histories, but indeed on their memories and Im- embodied memories. Um, so overall, I think um, um, studying this community that is a community that has lived inside Israel, formerly many of them with Israeli citizenship, has um, has in a way taught me even more to look at the hidden or the everyday Forms of politics because in this community, a community that has been under very harsh um, Israeli uh, control, surveillance, um, and uh, and violence um, since 1948. I I mean, even before, but. uh, yeah. Um this it's very clear here that in order to understand how women there do politics, we cannot look at uh, them going to protests or joining political parties. Indeed, sometimes the political here might be simply in a song uh, that tells something about um, rereading the history of 1948, or it might be in a photograph that uh, in, in some small um memorabilia that, that women maintain in order to uh, conserve or remember another in, in history and uh, through their own memories, through their own indigenous memories rather than accepting the, um, the settler colonial narrative that is so harshly imposed on them and that indeed is also so harshly uh, taught to their own children and grandchildren in the Israeli schools. So um, this this research on a community that has been, um, I would say, lived under settler colonization, um, that slightly functions slightly different than in the West Bank in the occupied West Bank, has shown me that we that we really need to. Um, uh, that I mean, first of all, we need ethnographic methods to understand this, but also that we really need to look at the, at the everyday and value these, these memories, these songs, these stories, this embodied presence, simply the ways in which you can see a Bedouin woman um, sit or occupy her space uh, is a way to read history and to counter the settler colonial narrative. Um, so really, it has taken me much more into the everyday. From now on, this will be much more my my focus in research. Um, now, wh- what does it mean for the scholarship on on women's activism uh, in the Middle East and and uh, on Palestine? Um, I mean, as you rightly say, I I, um, I end the book uh, drawing on Hannah Arendt's notion of, notion of the right to have rights, where she states that the stateless uh, not only have lost um, their their rights, but also their their right to have rights, and as such have been expelled from humanity. Um, here then these everyday forms of uh, trying to enjoy and create a normal life by Palestinian women, I argue, is also a way to reclaim humanity and to reclaim their dignity and humanity uh, in a context where that is where they're constantly being pushed out of humanity. Um, I think that uh, I mean, I think that uh, these this notions of uh, dignity, uh, human dignity, and people's struggles to, to, um, uh, to form a political subjectivity that, that allows them to live a, a dignified life. That is a very important um, uh, field to, to do further research on because it happens very differently for different generations and in different contexts. But it is a core claim and a core demand that um, Palestinians from all walks of life are expressing there's of course the broader national struggle which is an important framework for for identity and for political activism but then there's also that level of of humanity and of human dignity which also f- um, provides a framework a discursive and and actually a discursive framework for action and for for forming subjectivities that is very important for for people's um, political and everyday lives. I mean, the two being overlapped, the political and the everyday. So I think this entry point to the political, human dignity and humanity as a core to political subjectivity is a very good, I I think that is a very interesting starting point, at least for me, to try and understand um, political dynamics in Palestine and in indeed in the Middle East more broadly, because we have seen similar demands in the Arab revolutions where notions of karama and dignity were also very much mobilized by people. This is all outside of the of the classic national frames, of the classic national liberation movements or national struggles. People are expressing their politics in different ways, and the notion of dignity and and humanity, being part of humanity, is very important here, I think.
1: Certainly, and it has definitely given me a lot to think about as I start to write my own dissertation and certainly will give a lot to the listeners of the, of this podcast. Um, a lot of food for thought. So thank you so much for taking the time to sit down and speak with us today about your book, Women's Political Activism in Palestine, Peacebuilding, Resistance and Survival, again published by the Illinois University Press in 2018. Dr. Richter Devro, thank you so much. Um, it was really a pleasure to speak with you.
0: Thank you so much. It was my pleasure. Really great speaking to you. Thank you. Thank you.